1: Welcome to the Ellis Martin Report. During this broadcast, you will learn of potential investment opportunities involving publicly traded companies. These companies have paid us for exposure on this program. We ask that before you consider any possible investment choice, do your own research. You can begin the research process by visiting our website, ellismartinreport.com. Remember, if you do invest in any publicly traded concern, you do so at your own risk. Here's the host of the Ellis Martin Report, Ellis Martin. Ellis Martin. Welcome to the program.
2: I just completed a series of interviews that I conducted while attending and presenting at the Mines & Money Asia conference in Hong Kong. This week, you will hear several of them and next week, you'll hear the rest of the interviews. I had a chance to sit with resource company executives from Australia, Canada, and Asia representing unique potential investment opportunities for you. Why is there so much emphasis on Canadian and Australian mining companies on this program? Because globally, these two countries control most mining concerns many of them in the US. Canadian mining standards are the best in the world and they bring their experience and concern for the environment to each one of their endeavors per requirement by the exchanges that they trade on. If you're the kind of sophisticated investor that listens to this program, you'll be able to trade on these exchanges if that is your choice. If you cannot yet facilitate that, please do not hesitate to contact our client companies directly. You can find their logos on the homepage of our website, ellismartinreport.com. They can assist you hopefully in finding a broker in your area that may be able to take your trade should you decide to become a shareholder, after doing the suggested research. Remember, never invest without becoming fully educated on the security that you're considering. Do your own homework, make your own choices. We are merely paid purveyors of information, which makes us biased. Having said that, I make no investment recommendations. Invest at your own risk. Let's start this particular segment with a company we've had on the program previously, Namaska Lithium. Namaska intends to become a lithium hydroxide supplier and lithium carbonate supplier to the emerging lithium battery market that is largely driven by electric vehicles, cell phones, tablets and other consumer products. Namaska Lithium trades on the TSX under the symbol NMX and in the U.S. as NMKEF. Join me for a conversation at the Mines and Money Asia Conference in Hong Kong with Namaska Company spokesperson, Wanda Cutler. Wanda, welcome to the program.
3: Thank you. Nice to be here. If
2: you don't mind, give us a brief overview of your company.
3: Namaska Lithium is a vertically integrated mining company. We have a mine, and then we'll have a chemical plant. So we'll be producing lithium for batteries. Mainly, that's our focus. We're not just producing a concentrate. We're going to be producing a lithium hydroxide and a lithium carbonate. Those are the batteries or the chemicals that go into the battery.
2: Let's talk about the resource, the location, the jurisdiction, is sex as far as I know.
3: We're located in Quebec, Canada, one of the best mining jurisdictions in the world. The mine is located in the James Bay region of Northern Quebec, well-serviced by existing infrastructure, roads, power, communities, airports. So all the infrastructure that you would need to build a mine is already in place. It saves us a lot on our capital. The chemical plant will be located in Shewinigan, Quebec, which is further south and on the St. Lawrence Seaway. That also is well-serviced <laughs> by existing infrastructure. So we have electricity, natural gas, a well-skilled population nearby, railroad, so it's well-serviced, and we can actually receive concentrate at that point from anywhere in Canada, North America, or even the world to process into battery chemicals. But of course, our main concentrate is going to come from our mine in northern Quebec.
2: You have the offtake taken care of. You've got the project. You're vertically integrated, and you spent some time setting this up. It took a while for you to acquire the properties, put everything into process. Let's discuss that.
3: Yeah, we went public 2008, 2009, just at the end there of 08, and we've been focused on our lithium project pretty well since that time. We have developed the project from basically a few historic drill holes to a world-class deposit with a full feasibility study and it's fully permanent. So we're good to go from a mining perspective and then in terms of the chemical plant we developed our own technology to produce battery chemicals. It gives us a huge cost advantage over everyone else in the world. Now there's no brine involved, this is all hard rock, correct? Absolutely, it's a hard rock lithium project. Tell us about your management team. So the company's led by Guy Barassa, he's the founder. He found the project, put the project into Namaska Lithium and developed it to the world-class asset that it is today. He's also responsible for spearheading the development of the technology that converts the concentrate into lithium battery chemicals. In terms of the execution, we've been able to attract some really talented people. So we have a couple of people that are ex Rio Tinto, experienced in developing mines from scratch. So that's really going to help us from the execution perspective, especially on the mining side. And then on the chemical side, A few years ago we built a team of chemists that basically helped us develop the methodology to produce the lithium salts, so we have an in-house team of chemists as well, which is I think somewhat of a differentiator for Namaska relative to some of the other companies because We've built that expertise in-house, so on an execution side, management is very experienced in both developing mines and building chemical plants.
2: And tell us about your share structure.
3: Share structure, we're just over 317 million shares outstanding. Fully diluted, we're about 400 million. So our market cap's roughly 400 to 450 million Canadian. What
2: can we expect to see for the company going forward the next year to 16 months?
3: Lots of news coming up. We're basically in the project development phase so we're actually building a mine and a chemical plant at this point. We're doing a bulk sample right now up at the mine site that's going to feed our phase one plant. The phase one chemical plant will be used to send samples to customers over the next say six months so customers around the world will be receiving product. The thing with lithium is you need to qualify your product and so by sending them samples in advance of building the mine and the full-scale commercial plant you're actually qualifying while you're building. So that's really gonna reduce our operating costs once we're fully up and running. And what brings
2: you to Minds and Money Asia here in Hong Kong today?
3: Well, I mean, obviously a lot of the battery manufacturers, a lot of the companies that are focused on supplying lithium ion batteries are based in Asia. So we felt like it was a perfect opportunity to come and reach out to that audience, both on the investor side as well as potentially in.
2: Wanda, it's always a pleasure to visit with you. Thanks so much for joining me today on the program.
3: Thanks, pleasure to be here.
2: I've been speaking with Wanda Cutler of Namaska Lithium at the Mines & Money Asia Conference in Hong Kong. Namaska trades as NMX on the TSX and NMKEF in the US. Visit with Namaska Lithium at the Mines & Money Conference in New York on May 3rd and 4th. I'm Ellis Martin and I'll see you there as well. Next on the program and also at the Mines & Money Asia Conference in Hong Kong, I'll speak with Gino Deanna, the Executive Director of Metals Tech. MetalsTech trades on the Australian ASX under the symbol MTC. They have lithium assets in Quebec and cobalt in Ontario, Canada. MetalsTech is resourcing the lithium-ion battery revolution. Gino, welcome to the program.
4: Thank you very much, Ellis. Thanks for having me. If you don't mind, give us an overview of the company. Okay, so our company, MetalsTech, is listed on the Australian Stock Exchange. We listed at the end of February this year, focused on high-grade lithium hard rock and also high-grade cobalt in North America. We're principally focused on those two assets mostly because we are wanting to be part of that transformative change to the whole mass energy storage and electric vehicles market. You mentioned North America let's focus in a little bit on
2: the best mining jurisdiction in the world which is Quebec province Canada.
4: So Quebec is an important and natural choice for us I mean we've got access to the lowest cost energy in terms of Quebec hydropower where there's prevalent infrastructure as far as road and rail is concerned as well all of our projects boast favorable locations as far as infrastructure is concerned Quebec for us has got tier 1 mining jurisdiction ranked number 6 by the Fraser Institute but we've also got access to easy and very accessible skilled labour throughout the whole province. The local government there is very active in as far as contributing to projects. The Quebec government's got something that's quite important called the Plan Nord or the Plan North. Uh, it's all about taking infrastructure beyond the 49th parallel where majority of our projects actually sit. We're quite fortunate that Quebec Hydro have done a number of projects around our properties, which has actually given us great infrastructure and access to our areas. But importantly, the Quebec government is also very supportive as far as tax rebates are concerned and also about incentivizing exploration in the northern reaches of Quebec where our properties are located. We've also got a very supportive First Nations landscape in the Cree Nation. They're very attuned to investing in mining and exploration as well.
2: Let's discuss lithium brine, which we're not talking about, and hard rock lithium and the benefits of your particular project as compared to others around the world.
4: I suppose for us as a junior explorer we ourselves couldn't get our minds across lithium brine productions mostly because the capital infrastructure that's required to actually get those projects into production. Something for a junior explorer is quite a difficult sort of concept to, I suppose, draw out. Whereas the hard rock mining opportunities that we are completely focused on is really all about low-cost capital infrastructure into the project. Where the difference is going to come down to with hard rock mining is all about the technology, the processing technologies that associate with the lithium extraction, generally speaking, out of spodumene, we're concentrating on as well. And that is what's really key to making sure that we can compete as an operator on cost-effective and cost-competitive terms with the lithium brine producers. Well, the off would potentially stay right there in Canada, wouldn't it? Absolutely, there's a big draw card to the Quebec government to actually want us as an explorer and developer and near-term producer to actually beneficiate our product within Quebec. The government's very supportive, as I said before, about giving tax rebates and actually contributing to capital infrastructure if we are actually producing the value-add product in Quebec. We're also on the doorstep of the North American customers, Tesla themselves, they're in the US, huge consumer of lithium and and cobalt as well, two of the commodities that we're principally focused on. So being in Quebec, we're differentiated from the majority of the market. We are aiming towards having 100% focused production in Quebec and selling into the North American markets, not to ignore the Asian markets because they're very important to lithium and cobalt production as well, but our principal focus is going to be on servicing North American consumers, given that we're a North American focused company. And that market
2: is growing tremendously. Tesla cannot even keep up with its production requirement.
4: No, that's incredibly true. I mean, you've got now Tesla's market cap is greater than Ford and General Motors. They're producing some 80,000 vehicles per year versus some 12 million vehicles being produced by Ford on an annual basis. So you've got a huge demand and supply deficit with respect to the lithium carbonates and lithium hydroxides going into those very important lithium-ion batteries. Add to that the mix of cobalt as well, we wanting to source cobalt from clean jurisdictions such as Canada. There's been a paradigm shift away from even Apple themselves sourcing cobalt from politically unstable and, and security and unstable countries like the DRC. It really puts the focus on Quebec and in particular in Canada, and we are part of that transformational shift to those jurisdictions.
2: Let's discuss cobalt, if you don't mind. You have cobalt in Ontario, near an area which is actually called cobalt, and it's a historic mining region.
4: Yeah, quite an interesting story. I mean, that whole area really sort of was founded because of they were building a a large rail line through the region, and what actually tipped everyone off was the whole idea of what they call native silver, and this is something that sort of grades anywhere from a 1,000 to 3,500 grams to the ton, so incredibly high rich silver projects. And what the miners back in the 1900s were really focused on doing was actually using the cobalt as a trace of mineral to actually get to where the silver mineralization actually was. Cobalt was little known then, didn't really have a ready market for it as it does today. So a lot of the focus really was about just penetrating through the cobalt-rich veins and making their way into the silver mineralization. Our Bay Lake project grades up to 15.36% cobalt. It's very high grade, very high enriched veins of cobalt through the region. It's a very exciting property for us and we're just on the cusp of actually starting our exploration that particular project in the next couple of weeks. Tell us about the management team of the company, if you don't mind. Sure. So the management team principally is made up from an executive capacity, is made up of myself and my co-founder, Russell Moran. So our previous venture was in anthracite mining in British Columbia, which gave us, I suppose, an entry into the mining rich sort of provinces within Canada. My role principally was around the whole stakeholder engagement. So I got a very strong skill set in respect to actually forging the relationships with the local communities, the local stakeholders, the people that actually give you the the whole social licence to occupy. The company is really materially sort of supported by us two as executives. We own about 40% of the company, but we've importantly got a very strong technical management team working behind us as well. Shane Nuren also on the board as non-executive director. He's VP of Environment and Permitting, has got a very strong pedigree in that space as well. A lot of work within Canada. And we've got our technology partner, Lithium Australia, represented by Adrian Griffin, who adds the metallurgical and process testing side of the project suite to our, to our
2: board. So let's talk about how an Australian company and an Australian entrepreneur found a project that you found a passion for, financed it, or taking it into development potentially
4: and purveying it to an audience of investors around the world. How did that happen? So I started initially looking at graphite in July 2015 when graphite was becoming one of those preeminent commodities and was becoming something that the market was really just getting attuned to in terms of its value and use. Lithium and cobalt at that time was still relatively unknown, but there was definitely murmurs happening in the Australian market in particular where I'm familiar with about the importance of lithium. I entered negotiations with one private landholder, our initial claims being contiguous with a long strike of TSX listed Namaska lithium, then there were Bridges Podium in mine. That was, that was the first project that we acquired uh, after about eight months of negotiation. From there we invested our own money and picked up a number of other projects with private vendors and also through our own research and analysis with a geological team behind us as well. We seeded the company up in in July of 2016, put a lot of our own money again into work, put in sort of a circa a million dollars, and in February this year we raised a further four million dollars and listed on the Australian Stock Exchange. Our focus is solely on exploring and developing our lithium and cobalt projects. We're currently drilling at the Canset flagship property now in northern Quebec, and we're about to start drilling and exploration on the cobalt properties in Ontario as well.
2: So we can say that your properties in Quebec,
4: for the most part, are contiguous to Namaska. We've got one large property which which is about 8,000 hectares, which is contiguous with a long strike of namaskalithium. lithium. A lot of work's been done on that property historically through magnetic surveys, stream sediment sampling, but also a lot of rare earth mineralised exploration has been done as well. We're in what's known as this um, ultramafic and volcanic rock structure, which is similar in, in lithology and geology to Namaskah's deposit. We're currently going through a soil geochemistry sampling program that will then be followed up with trenching and maiden drilling program towards the middle of this year. So that's one of our primary flags projects cornerstone project for us but in the meantime we're actually drilling another property called can set where we've had some very good hits up to 5.58% lithium we've done nine drill holes to date our latest update from the market was from our drillings companies was 26 meters mineralized pegmatite and still open at depth tell us about your share structure and share price so we've got 76 million shares on issue as I said earlier a company is 76% owned by the top 20 40% of that resides with Russell and myself as executive management teams and, and co-founders of the Business. We listed the company at 20 cents, and as of today, we're trading at 32 cents. We've hit a high of 39 cents, and we are prominent promoters of the company in the global market. And that really is, I suppose, why I've come to talk to yourself today and, and why we're interested in penetrating a different market, different caliber of investors as well. And one of the reasons that you're here basically in Hong Kong is to accomplish that through Minds and Money Asia. Well, I mean, the Asian market, and we can't shy away from the fact that it's a very important market for lithium and cobalt. China itself is one. Of the largest consumers for refined cobalt they're also a very large consumer of lithium for the lithium-ion batteries as well and it's no surprise that the Chinese are actually the first and the fastest in terms of actually moving towards this mass adoption of electric vehicles be it amongst the consumer market and also amongst the public transportation sector as well. What we are trying to do with our presence here at Hong Kong Mines & Money is really to strike a chord with the Asian investors and the end user groups within the Asian markets and that includes Japan, South Korea Korea, Hong Kong, and China about demonstrating that we're a new, soon-to-come on-stream, lithium production-focused company with the advantage of actual high-grade cobalt production opportunities existing as well. Well,
2: Gino, it's been a pleasure to speak with you. Thanks so much for joining me today on the program. Thanks, Ellis. Thank you for hosting me. It was a pleasure. For Minds and Money Asia in Hong Kong, I've been speaking with Gino Deanna, the Executive Director of MetalsTech, trading as MTC on Australia's ASX. We continue prevailing potential opportunities now in the cobalt space at and Mines and & Money Asia in Hong Kong with Kevin Bottomley, the president and CEO of Kings Bay Resources, trading as KBG on the TSX Venture Exchange. Kevin, welcome to
5: the program. Thanks very much, Ellis. If you don't mind, give us a brief overview of the company. Sure, Ellis. Kings Bay is focused on the exploration and development of high-tech metals, primarily copper cobalt in Newfoundland, Labrador. Early stage, we're currently looking for exploration targets. We've recently completed a VTEM survey We'll be looking at the data to analyze high-value drilling targets to get in there once the weather allows us in the early part of June. Is copper and cobalt usually found together? I thought mostly it's silver and cobalt. It can come in a variety of different manners. Copper cobalt is common, nickel cobalt. Cobalt's not usually mine as a primary. It, as you said, is usually a byproduct, and uh, that's going to be the situation for us in Newfoundland Labrador.
2: Well, this byproduct's very good, being that it's copper and it's an industrial metal that we're going to
5: see more of a need for in the coming years. Copper is definitely on the rise. Some changes in the U.S. have definitely led to a price increase, which is good for us, but really sort of pricing is irrelevant at the early stage of exploration, and we're really looking for discovery, and that's where the value is gonna be for our shareholders. So it's way too early to, let's say, identify a resource then? Yeah, no, absolutely, but therein lies the excitement. We have the support of the local government and the community, and, and that was really the, the trigger point for us in the exploration process.
2: Now, I know you never get into anything Thing unless you find a passion. How did you find a passion for this particular project and this company?
5: Well, it was brought to me about eight months ago. It was a sort of a stress company. I was at a transition point in my career, and I wanted to really do something that I thought that I could bring value to. And technology metals had a long history, actually, uh, in this space, in these niche metals. And with cobalt on the rise, I figured I could make a difference and bring some new people to the deal. Well, let's talk about the management team. Sure. So myself, president and CEO, uh, 15 years experience in a number of facets, uh, primarily uh, corporate restructuring and capital raising. Another gentleman my business partner Brad Hepter, he's on the board as well and he has a similar pedigree to myself and my geologist Nick Rodway a younger guy up and coming very excited to have him on board he's actually from the region um, which uh, gives a lot of credibility with the local folk as well. And the jurisdiction really fantastic isn't it? Yeah Or being Canadian I felt a little ashamed I hadn't been out to the East Coast and to the Atlantic provinces but was welcomed with open arms and uh, the community was actually probably 75% of our first public offering we did on the finance side. Is it too
2: early to talk about potential offtake?
5: <laughs> Yes, yes it is. What the market is looking for is, is really the results of the VTEM survey we just completed and getting in there and doing some drilling and, and figuring out what exactly might be there, which we actually don't know. Let's talk about the share structure of the company and why it might be attractive, even at an early stage. So when I came on board, obviously, with these takeovers, you want to go in and you want to start with a clean slate without damaging any pre-existing shareholders. So we did do a rollback. We did a 10 for one. Currently, shares outstanding is just over $41 million. The management group holds 31%, and the market cap is just under $7 million. And what are you trading at right now? Currently trading at $0.16.5. Cents. Well, that's fantastic. So
2: it might not be a bad idea to park some liquid assets, a little bit of your portfolio in a company that perhaps has some potential in the future.
5: Yeah, absolutely. I encourage people to visit the website, to contact us directly and do their own due diligence. But I feel very strongly that there's definitely some real strong opportunity through the discovery process.
2: Well, Kevin, it's always a pleasure to see you, whether it's in Vancouver, San Francisco, Toronto, or now Hong Kong. Thanks very much for joining me today. Minds and Money in Asia. Thanks very much, Ellis. I've been speaking with Kevin Bottomley, the President and CEO of Kings Bay Resources, trading as KBG on the TSX Venture Exchange at the Mines and Money Asia Conference in Hong Kong. I'm Ellis Martin. Don't forget to visit with me at Mines and Money New York on May 3rd and 4th. Now let's chat with Charles Desjardins, the President and CEO of Pistol Bay Mining Incorporated, trading as PST on the TSX Venture Exchange. Pistol Bay Mining is a diversified junior mining Canadian exploration company for the specific civic focus on zinc and other base metal properties in North America. I sat down with Charles at Mines and Money Asia in Hong Kong. Charles, welcome to the program.
6: Thank you very much for having me, Ellis.
2: If you don't mind, give us an overview of your company.
6: Our company is basically focused on zinc, copper, and massive sulfides in Confederation Lake Northern Ontario.
2: Now, zinc, copper, and massive sulfides, it sounds like you're ready for the new industrial revolution in North America.
6: We're going to build it. That's our plan. Now, how are you
2: going to go about doing that?
6: Honestly, at this point, we're an exploration company. We do have some historic deposits and one 101 resource of a couple million tons. We have a big belt here that's been under Explored. It's only been explored to a couple hundred meters of depth for 95% of it and we're planning to do some deep penetrating airborne surveys that'll see 5 to 700 meters which we think we're going to find some pretty interesting stuff at depth in this belt.
2: Uh, give us a background on the company and the management team if you don't
6: mind. The company's been around for quite a while. We have one asset that is in uranium that's joint ventured with Rio Tinto. That's a historic asset that we've had for more than 10 years. The management team is very experienced. Two of us have over 30 years' experience in venture capital and fundraising.
2: What is the plan going forward for the next 12 months, two years with regard to exploration? How are you capitalized for that?
6: We're well capitalized now. We recently got a $750,000 payment from Rio Tinto and closed a $550,000 financing just prior to that. The plan here in the short term is we're doing a new resource estimate on the aero zone. We're going to be commencing these VTM Max airborne surveys and we'll be doing a drill program here in the next few months. We're just working on our permits right now. We have one project permitted. We're permitting eight more projects. That's quite
2: exciting. So over time there'll be updated resource estimates.
6: Yes. As I mentioned, there's four historic deposits that we control that are not 43101, and we'll be moving those to 43101 status over the next 18 months, two years, systematically one historic deposit at a time.
2: Now you have a gold resource as well. Is that going to be of interest down the road? Are you actually, that kind of polymetallic company?
6: So a VMS in this belt typically has zinc, copper, silver, and gold. So the gold that we do have is part of the VMS structure in the aerozone, zone, which has a couple million tons of like around 6% zinc, 0.7% copper, good gold and silver credit. It also has a high grade core that has like 0.85 grams gold per ton on 633,000
2: tons. What does the share structure of the company look like?
6: Presently, we have about 35 million shares Outstanding with about a third of that being well held by insiders or near insiders. And the share price is near? It's around 11 cents Canadian at the moment.
2: Sounds like a very interesting opportunity for base metals and also precious metals.
6: Yeah, I think we're going to have a very exciting end to 2017 and moving on into 2018.
2: Now, you also have another payment with regard to the Rio Tinto uranium project, correct?
6: So they've recently given us $750,000. The next payment is scheduled to be in December 2017. That would be a million and a half dollars. If it drags into 2018, then it would be $2 million. We're really expecting that they will pay that payment in 2017. The nice thing about that is our shareholders get more development of the project with no dilution. So
2: what would you say to our audience in consideration of your company as a potential investment opportunity when there are a number of choices right now? Why select Pistol Bay hypothetically?
6: Pistol Bay has the best of both worlds in that we have the blue sky with deep penetrating airborne survey that we're going to be doing there's some amazing things could come out of that we're looking for a plumbing system that's over 60 kilometers all these historic resources and the 4310 resource have come up but what's going on at depth and that's what we're going to be looking at as well as developing these historic deposits we know that there's good grade there and we know all the holes and stuff like that so we'll be twinning a lot of those and giving the market some really good numbers
2: we expect a significant amount of news flow over the next six months.
6: We'll be working hard, and we'll
2: show the market. Fantastic. Well, I'm very much looking forward to those results. Charles Desjardins, thank you so much for joining us today with Minds & Money Asia in Hong Kong. Thank you very much for having me. I've been speaking with Charles Desjardins, the president and CEO of Pistol Bay Mining Incorporated, trading as PST on the TSX Venture Exchange at the Minds & Money Asia Conference in Hong Kong. Join me on May 3rd and 4th at the Minds & Money Conference New York at the Hilton Midtown Manhattan. For Minds & Money and the Ellis Martin Report, I'm Ellis Martin. Anthony C. is the managing director of Galaxy Resources, an Australian-listed company trading on the ASX as GXY. Galaxy is a purely lithium-focused company, a producer with exposure to both hard rock and brine assets. The hard rock assets are in Australia and Canada with a lithium brine project in Argentina. Today I'm visiting with Anthony at the Minds and Money Asia Conference in Hong Kong. Anthony, welcome to the program. Thank you. Good afternoon, Ellis. Thanks for having me. If you don't mind, give us an overview of the company.
7: Yep, Uh, so Galaxy is uh, one of the world's largest pure-play lithium-focused companies now. We have three projects around the world, two hard rock projects and uh, one brine project in Argentina. Our two hard rock projects are in Australia and Canada, and uh, our operations in Australia went into production in December of last year. And who are some of the offtake vendors that you're affiliated with? So these will be the uh, lithium conversion plants in China who would then take our lithium concentrate and then produce lithium carbonate or lithium hydroxide. a chemical compound and then they would then be selling on to battery material manufacturers in China.
2: So you're one of the uh, big players in the, the Lithium Triangle in Argentina, aren't you?
7: Yes, we've been fortunate to develop a project located in part of the Lithium Triangle, the northwest region of Argentina. Obviously, the other parts of the triangle include Bolivia and Chile, across the border in Atacama. But uh, we're located on the Salar de Ombre Merto. And uh, Ombre Merto is actually the same location or the same Salar as where FMC Lithium, so one of the big three major lithium companies, has been operating for the last 20 years.
2: The production of lithium from lithium brine has been problematic for many, many companies but you've mastered that technology. Let's discuss that.
7: Yeah, so I think what we've tried to do is try to de-risk every stage of development of the project and that includes really staffing ourselves up with the best team that we can find. As you know, whether it's hard rock lithium projects around the world, there's literally only a handful. There's literally three in production in Australia and a couple in Africa. Likewise, for brine projects, the last 20 years have only seen four or five projects been built. So there's a very finite number of people who've actually worked on these facilities. And we've been uh, fortunate over the past, I guess, six to 12 months to put together an owner's team or development team of ex-FMC, SQM, and Rockwood personnel. So essentially people, all of whom used to work with the big three major lithium producers globally. And uh, in aggregate, we've been able to put together a team that has over 200 years of experience working on brine projects.
2: And now let's talk about hard rock.
7: So hard rock, as you know, is is mainly found in Australia and, and Canada. And interestingly enough, if you look at the China market today, China market Uh, Last year, 2016, produced about 86,500 tons of lithium carbonate equivalent. And and actually, China actually has to import a lot of the feedstock required to produce that lithium carbonate and lithium hydroxide. And over 75% of that feedstock actually comes from Australian spodumene. And so China's lithium industry has basically grown up on hard rock. And so it's a very natural fit for us to bring Mount Catlin back into operation and, and serve our Chinese customers as part of the growing demand that we're seeing in China as a result of the adoption of the electric vehicle vehicles in that market.
2: What are you doing to grow your market beyond what you're doing in China and elsewhere in the world?
7: Sure. So, obviously, Mount Catlin predominantly serves the Chinese market and the Chinese customers there. Like I mentioned, we have two other projects. The project in Argentina will be producing about 25,000 tons of lithium carbonate. And our view is that most likely that 25,000 tons will be divvied up between offtakers in China, probably somewhere between about a half to two thirds of that production will go to China, with the balance going to Japan and Korea.
2: Now, certainly, you're concerned about my life with regard to your company and the future and the the incredible demand for lithium down the road what are you doing to
7: expand your resource around the world? Sure. So the other project that we're working on is James Bay in Canada, which currently is a pre-DFS project. is about 23 million tons located in Quebec. Very mining-friendly jurisdiction there. That currently is a 23 million ton kind of resource, about 1.28% grade. So it's a slightly larger resource and a higher quality than Mount Catlin in Australia. And we have recently embarked on a new exploration development program to do a couple of things. One is to proof up and to bulk up our resources and reserves there in in Canada so we expect to be able to announce that sometime in the second half of the year that'll be a substantial upgrade in in resource and the second thing that we're looking to do at James Bay is uh, actually complete a feasibility study not only on the upstream processing facility which essentially will be a copy and paste of the operations that we built at Mount Catlin but we're also evaluating the possibility of actually building a downstream lithium hydroxide conversion facility somewhere in Quebec which will basically take the concentrate from James Bay and produce it into the final product of lithium hydroxide.
2: Let's talk about the revenue
7: that your company generates and the share structure. So, in terms of share structure, today we have about 1.9 billion shares outstanding. Our market cap, depending on you know which side of the bed the market decides to get out of in the morning, is at the moment somewhere between 900 to a billion dollars Australian in terms of market capitalization. In terms of kind of our target cash flows for this year, just to give you a sense, on an annualised basis, we would aim to be hitting somewhere in the region of about 400 US dollar kind of cash cost or cash margin in terms of our production at Mount Catlin. If we're looking at 160,000 tons per annum of product. That roughly equates to about 60-odd million dollars US and roughly equivalent 80 million Australian dollars in terms of operating cash flow from Mount Catlin.
2: Where do you see the growth of the company in that regard within the next two or three to five years? And of course, this is all speculation. I'm just curious. Sure.
7: I mean, look, our other development projects are still subject to you know, us being able to tick a few more boxes on finalizing feasibility, offtake, and, and <laughs> financing. But, for example, South of Leader, its economics are very compelling in terms of the amount of earnings potential that that project has. So, on the DFS that we concluded last year, our economic study shows that that project, on a post-tax basis at full ramp-up, will be doing somewhere in the region of about 180 to 190 million dollars of uh, post-tax cash flows on an annualized basis. And, and obviously, Sadovita is still going to be a fair way away, so about two and a half year build-out and then a three-year ramp thereafter. So, you know, hopefully, somewhere four to five years out, we're going to be on the Salavita kind of P&L and cash flow but our financial performance as well.
2: So I understand in China there are more
7: electric vehicle charging stations than petrol stations. Is that true? It's kind of getting there. I think there's a a very big target that the government has set. The government has basically set a target of having 5 million electric vehicles on the road by 2020. And alongside that, they also want to be rolling out somewhere in the region of 4.8 million charging stations. There's a lot of government funding to actually kind of match that on a one-to-one basis. As you know, people who are now buying electric cars around the world, one of the kind of minor headaches that these consumers have to face is where do you go? and charge a vehicle. China today is probably the world's leader in terms of adoption of electric vehicles. So last year, 2016, China sold 517,000 vehicles over 379,000 vehicles in 2015. So 50% uplift in that. That's expected to go to seven to 800,000 vehicles this year. The world last year alone only sold 780,000 vehicles in total. So China is obviously very much a lion's share of that growth. But the other difference about China is the mix of vehicles in China is about 80% pure electric and 20% hybrid. Whereas if you look at the rest of the world and you look at North America, it's usually the other way around. So you've got about 20% of those new energy vehicles being sold being pure electric and the rest being hybrid. What that basically means for our business is obviously with a pure electric vehicle your battery sizes are a lot larger your kilowatt hours per vehicle are a larger. And therefore, the amount of lithium that you consume per vehicle is also going to be a lot higher. So that's why we see most of the growth happening. Probably China is going to be leading at least you 60-70% of the growth, at least for the next, I would say, five plus years. I think by the time we get to 2025, you'll start to see a bit more of a balance in terms of electric vehicles sold around the world of 50% being in China and 50% being in the rest of the world. So consequently, that's where most of your growth is going to be. Correct. Although from a long-term strategy and kind of just risk management perspective, we'd like to have a nice mix of our business between China, Japan, and Korea. And also importantly for James Bay, the product strategy for James Bay is to produce hydroxide in North America and then use that hydroxide to serve customers in the US markets as well as in Europe. So overall, we can have a very balanced kind of revenue mix as kind of the world continues to kind of grow this particular market segment.
2: And finally, with the uh, wealth of resource companies for individual investors to participate in, why do you think they should consider Galaxy Resources as a potential investment opportunity?
7: I think a couple of things. One, we are in production already. So we are well past the stage of being a concept or just a feasibility. There will be a material level of cash flow that will be coming out of our project in Australia this year. And therefore, our valuation actually has a fundamental support behind our valuation. But the other aspect is we've got two of, you know, the world's probably leading world-class projects in our development pipeline and we believe that those will help us continue to unlock more value going forward as well.
2: Well Anthony it's been a pleasure to speak with you today. Thanks so much for joining me on the program. Thanks very much Otis for having me. Thank you. I've been chatting with Anthony C the managing director of Galaxy Resources an Australian listed company trading on the ASX as GXY. This is another in a series of interviews conducted at the Minds and Money Asia Conference in Hong Kong. I'm Ellis Martin. Join me, if you can, at the Mines & Money New York Conference, May 3rd and 4th. Join me now for a conversation with John Dugdale, the Managing Director of Peninsula Mines Limited, trading on the ASX under the symbol PSM. Peninsula is an Australian-listed exploration company developing outstanding opportunities for lithium, graphite, and gold discoveries within South Korea. Today I'm continuing my series of interviews at the Minds and Money Asia Conference in Hong Kong. John, welcome to the program. Thank you very much. Now, you have a unique company, a, a company I've not come across anywhere in my travels. You are a potential producer of lithium and graphite in a market in your home country which is we're not talking about Australia, we're talking about Korea which is a prime source of production for the lithium ion battery. Is that not correct? That is correct.
8: Well, Sam, the lithium mine battery production, It's, it's uh, South Korea is the world's leading producer of that product. And we have identified potential for significant graphite deposits, as well as um, potential for lithium and other commodities in country. And they don't actually produce any of their own primary product for those high-end technological applications. So what you're seeing right now
2: in South Korea, all the source for lithium... And graphite comes from overseas.
8: Yeah, outside Korea and China and other areas, and it gets produced and processed to a product, and then comes into South Korea as a final product. We actually see the opportunity to not only produce graphite and lithium in Korea, but also to continue the downstream processing, so that Korea can actually produce the whole value chain all the way through to the lithium-ion battery, because that should be a very attractive option for the um, potential off-take partners that we would like to generate.
2: So really, there's no transportation issues at all. The source is right there, and the delivery process is probably
8: kilometers away. And also, the infrastructure in Korea is fantastic. So if we can set up a project development in the near term, access to power, access to transport, and so forth, are second to none in-country. So it really is an outstanding opportunity. The obvious question
2: is, why hasn't this been done prior to now? Why hasn't anyone else taken advantage of this opportunity
8: with lithium graphite in country? One of the aspects is that, to some extent, Korea moved to the high technological end of the market and sought product from outside Korea. In addition to that, the ability to set yourself up and, and get established in Korea hasn't been recognized by other companies. And we see that some of the old production areas have been just left without any modern exploration, then we've sort of recognised that opportunity. So I can't speak for other companies, but we've certainly recognised that these things have remained dormant and we can now take them forward. So
2: you have the potential ability to take this project into production or partner with someone who can, and then generate a source of
8: revenue within perhaps two to three to five years, somewhere in that area? Yeah, that's about the time frame we're looking at. Certainly the graphite is reasonably straightforward in that respect, and the deposits that we're currently taking forward, for instance our Yongwon project located very close to the city of Chungju which is a major industrial centre so we would see ourselves as being able to take the development forward to mine production and potential flotation concentrate production and then we develop a partnership with some groups which are very local to take that product to the sphericalised concentrate that goes into lithium-ion battery manufacture. And there's a lot of lithium-ion battery manufacturers in country, not just the big ones, LG and Samsung. So our discussions with these groups are already starting. Not only that, we can advance our other projects for lithium and also zinc and silver and gold and just keep moving things forward. And we may have multiple mine developments in the future.
2: Well, with regard to graphite, the spherical graphite, the high-purity graphite, is really what these
8: battery production companies need, and anything less than that is just uh, counterproductive, isn't it? Yeah, and and we've been able to show that we can produce a 97% graphite concentrate from at least our Yongwon project, and that's really high-purity stuff. That was our focus initially, was to say, right, can we produce the high-quality product that these people need? Yes, we've ticked that box. Now we can drill out that one single project, get it to the stage where we can produce an economic study advance our offtake partnership discussions, and then move on perhaps to two or three other developments and establish an industry that Korea really is crying out for. What kind of lithium do you have? Is it hard rock? Is it lithium brine? It's pegmatite-hosted hard rock lithium. We're at a fairly early stage there, but there is some lithium mining going on in the area where we've um, established our tenements. We've established a tenement holding over a three-kilometer-long belt of pegmatites, and we know they're lithium-bearing. We just now need to advance them to the next stage, which is soil sampling, further surface sampling, then perhaps some geophysics, and then maybe even drilling within the next sort of 12 to 18 months. So that's at an earlier stage, but the common denominator between all our projects is we've identified outcropping mineralization at surface, and so it's just a matter of applying our modern exploration techniques, which have never been applied before. You said all your projects, does that mean you have gold at surface as well? Yes. Korea's got quite a history of gold production, and we've been able to acquire a very high-grade historical mine that has some high-grade mineralisation spread over about... one and a half kilometres of strike and multiple load structures and we're looking to drill that this year that's our OSU project and in addition we've got a large area of tenements over a major zinc province there's still zinc mining going on in fact there's an active producer right near our exploration property and a significant historical mine within our tenements and we've been identified grades of up to 40% zinc at surface spread over an area of around two kilometres by two kilometres squared so we're very excited about that as well and again outcropping, high-grade very large areas of tenements that we'll be able to acquire, but no modern exploration has been applied. That's our bread and butter. We are a group that has the expertise and the track record of identifying opportunities, turning them into discoveries, and then taking them through to development.
2: Well, I want to talk about that track record, but I'd also like to ask you about steel production in Korea. How extensive is it? Would you take it to other countries in the region? Where's that zinc going?
8: There is quite a bit of zinc refining capacity in Korea. Korea zinc is a major global company and there are still active mines and still active refinery in fact our um, zinc project itself is situated within a few kilometers of an active mine and within 25 kilometers of a zinc refinery so if anything the zinc is the easiest one because as soon as we find a deposit we can develop we can either take it to a, a nearby mining operation to produce a concentrate or set up our own facilities and there's refining actively in country so the zinc looks to be a very exciting opportunity as well.
2: Let's talk about that management team. Management
8: is everything. You mentioned a track record earlier. We'd like to know what that's all about. Myself and Danny Noonan and Martin Pyle, we'd like to call ourselves the three amigos to some extent. We all went to university together about 30 years ago. We've got combined experience of um, nearly 100 years in the industry. My background, Western Mining Corporation and MPI Mines, was 20 years of a discovery history, both in high-grade gold and nickel and other base metals and Martin Pyle has been a uh, finance corporate director at Hartley's and Danny Noonan is a, a very experienced resource and mine geology and development expert. So you put that together and we can find, we can develop and we can finance. We've got the track record and the experience to do that and I think one of the things that is evident is that the track record of Australian companies and Canadian companies taking these sorts of projects forward is second to none and it's what these countries really need is that sort of expertise to to really get their mining industries going in a modern way, using the latest techniques, but also safely and with an eye to uh, environmental sustainability. The more this sort of experience is applied to these situations, I think the more that places like South Korea can actually benefit.
2: How extensive are Canada and Australia as a whole? How extensive are
8: these countries involved? I know globally it's quite extensive, but in Korea alone? Not particularly, and we see that as an opportunity. So there's been some activity over the years in tungsten and in gold. Uh, Ivanhoe Mines made a discovery in South Korea. At the moment, it's um, Peninsula Mines and there's another Australian company active there at the moment. The opportunity hasn't really been recognised and progressed in Korea, despite the fact that there's a huge amount of prospectivity and historical mining activity. I think one of the perceptions is that it's heavily populated, but there is about 70% of Korea is forested land and mountains and available for exploration and mine development. And the other perception, I think, is that the historical mine, well certainly in-country, is that the historical mine is basically exhausted the opportunity opportunities. But as we know in Australia, the historical mining only really just scratched the surface. And our ability to now see below the surface using geophysics, using very subtle geochemical techniques has never been applied in Korea until now. So you're using disruptive technology essentially? Yes, a lot of it is to some extent traditional technology but it's the ability to understand how these mineralised systems work and to see through the surface exposures and generate discoveries that may not actually be outcropping at surface. And one of the things about the mining law in Korea is you've basically got to find something to get your tenement granted. Now that makes it challenging obviously, but it also means that other large companies haven't been able to sit on large tracts of applications and not do anything so we're very active we're able to pick up tenements move them through the discovery stage get our tenements granted and then keep progressing them whereas others have probably looked at it and said yeah i can't You know, just address peg and wait for it all to happen because that doesn't really work with the Korean system. How are you capitalized going forward for your exploration and development endeavors? And let's talk about the share structure of the company. We're Australian listed. We've got about 500 million shares, which is not too much in Australia. We had about 2 million in the bank at the end of last year. We've only just started our field season, so we've got most of that available. Our field program this year is really designed to take two to three of our key projects through to the drilling and resource delineation stage. We've got the capital to at least commence that process and then Based on likely success, we would see the opportunity to really turbocharge that program, take one or two of these projects through to the economic evaluation stage within the next 12 to 18 months. So we've got the capital to do that. We've got the support in Australia. We've got 50% of our shareholding is stable, significant investors, very supportive. Hartleys in Australia in Perth is supporting us as well. So our ability to generate positive news, put runs on the board, generate resources, progress through to economic study stage is all covered and then reach the next level and we can potentially start to capitalize the development.
2: Well, John, I thank you for bringing the story to the attention of our viewers and our listeners. It's been a real pleasure to speak with you today here at Mines & Money Asia in Hong Kong. Thank you very much. I've been speaking with John Dugdale, the Managing Director of Peninsula Mines Limited, trading on the ASX under the symbol PSM, at the Minds & Money Asia Conference in Hong Kong. Be sure to join me for Minds & Money New York on May 3rd and 4th. Listen to the segment again on our website, ellismartinreport.com. Carl D'Umbrell is the non-executive director and company secretary for Oil Basins Limited, an Australian company trading on the ASX as OBL. Oil Basins is an exploration company primarily focused on natural gas onshore and offshore in Australia, positioned to offset the shortage of domestic liquid natural gas needs in the country. Today, I'm visiting with Carl at the Minds and Money Asia Conference in Hong Kong. Many of us around the world and in North America look at Australia as a resource rich country, second to perhaps Canada. So, the question of energy is sort of a a no brainer, and we don't think that there's an energy issue at all in Australia, but evidently there is with the shutting down of coal fired plants around the country and the outsourcing around the world of the country's liquid natural gas. Then, that leaves pretty much nothing for the local. Population, the heavily populated areas of eastern and southern Australia, and this company is addressing that.
9: Carl, welcome to the program. Let's talk about your company. Thank you very much. So, Oil Basins, as mentioned, is a small listed company on the Australian Stock Exchange. We are addressing the energy and electricity situation in Australia. As mentioned, Australia is moving away from coal fire power to gas and that is creating a structural problem as a change occurs.
2: Did anyone see this coming over time when the coal-fired plants were actually shut down? Wasn't there an alternative energy source
9: ready to go? The government of the day has not planned for the future. They've allowed for the day-to-day funding of the necessary energy needs, but the crisis occurs now, 2017-2018. And so the current empowered governments are trying to resolve it, but their predecessors have ignored the problem. Australia is
2: a first world country, and yet you've had some blackouts and brownouts as a result of this shift.
9: Correct. Last year in South Australia, the entire state of South Australia was out of electricity for two days. Two days, no electricity, a large state. Correct. Unthinkable. And unheard of, we didn't know of this. How are you positioned to take care of this energy need? So our company has a gas Project in the Bass Strait, which is in the Gippsland Basin, and it is the premier basin for gas in Australia, supplying about 30% of Australia's domestic gas market. So we have a project that will move from final stage exploration to production in the coming years and our project is there to complement the current supply-demand problem feeding straight into the domestic marketplace. So all of the energy that you'll be providing will pretty much be spoken for? Correct. Into the Victorian, Southeast Australian domestic market. And you said complement, not completely
2: satisfy, but complement, which is enough for you and your shareholders. Correct. What is the plan going forward during the
9: next 12 months to two years with regard to further developing this project and taking it into production? So at the moment, we are completing the final stages of exploration work, and that's 3D seismic reprocessing. We will have that work completed in May. We will have conclusions available in June, and at that point in time, we will recalculate the size of the project and how we then drill the project next year or the year after to take it to a production. Now it is a conventional gas field which means that when we drill it, gas will flow to the surface. So it's not going to be very
2: cost intensive beyond drilling it and gas flowing to the surface. Have you arranged for uh,
9: offtake locally? Not yet. That is the work that we're doing in the coming months. Once we have completed the current 3D seismic reprocessing, we then move into the negotiation stage of offtake, infrastructure and getting access to the high That we need. So it's a very exciting time for us.
2: Infrastructure isn't as big an issue as it would be if your resources were somewhere else in the country, for instance, in New South Wales or
9: or the northwestern part of Australia. Is that not correct? We have excellent infrastructure. Our field is within two kilometres of an existing gas field with pipelines running into Victoria, and our secondary (laughs) gas field on the same permit is within five kilometres of a project that SO and BHP owner of operating so we're very close to infrastructure. How do you capitalize going forward for further development? We need to recapitalize the company at this point in time and our company at the moment is very small so it creates an excellent opportunity for an investor to come in and participate in a large upside. And that's one of the reasons you're here in Hong Kong, is that not correct? That's correct. We're here to tell the world the story about what's happening in the energy situation in Australia and to identify our project as a very suitable investment for international parties.
2: To reiterate, while Australia is very rich in precious metals and base metals, rare earth metals, any kind of metal or mineral, liquid
9: natural gas is a problem. Correct. And the reason for that, as you said at the beginning, is that we are a large supplier to the global market. We've moved since 2004 to now to become the second largest supplier of LNG in the world behind Qatar.
2: Oil Basins Limited trades on the ASX under the symbol OBL. I've been speaking with Carl Dumbrell, the director and company secretary. Thank you so much, Carl, for joining us on the program today. Thank you very much. I've been chatting with Carl Dumbrell, the non-executive director and company secretary for Oil Basins Limited, an Australian company trading on the ASX as OBL. Carl has joined me at the Minds and Money Asia Conference in Hong Kong. I'm Ellis Martin. Join me for Minds and Money New York on May 3rd and 4th, 2017 in Manhattan. Listen to this segment again on our website, ellismartinreport.com. This year, I'll be continuing my global travels with the Minds and Money Conferences in New York, Toronto, Australia, and London. Doing my job as your information gatherer and presenter of potential investment opportunities in the resource sector. We'll talk to the experts and chat with CEOs of companies in different stages of exploration, development, and production on a variety of domestic and foreign exchanges, including the TSX, ASX, and England's AIM. I would say to you, if you are not a sophisticated investor, the risk is higher. But if you are familiar with trading or investing in these concerns and you can afford to risk, this program provides an opportunity for our listeners to hear directly from the principals of companies in the sector. Listen to their stories, learn about their management teams, their projects the resources in the ground. Look at the track records of the people involved and where these commodities might be headed with regard to the markets. What does our burgeoning global society need and consume the most? What I like about the Minds and Money series of conferences is that it is global in scope. We are one planet. There is enough abundance in the ground for everyone. We just have to uncover it. And at times, that demand exceeds the ability to produce the commodity at any given time to meet the needs of either industry or the consumer. This can drive the price of the commodity up, as well as a share price. These are the trends that you have to look for, especially as we cover minerals such as lithium, cobalt, graphite, zinc, and copper. In my opinion, and that of others, copper is probably the most undervalued metal potentially, considering the supply and demand issues across the board. Gold is money, but is it currency yet in the world? I don't know. Check your wallet and see how much gold you have in it. Having said that, it too may be undervalued comparatively to the supply. It may be less risky than paper during a potential upcoming economic crisis. Lithium, cobalt, and graphite. We've been hearing a great deal about these commodities on this program, especially when it concerns the growing use of lithium-ion batteries in automobiles, computer tablets, and phones. That demand will only increase. Can production globally keep up? Not yet. Not yet. I don't think so. Hence, these are still early days, and there might be some great investment opportunities in the market. I'm Ellis Martin. Thanks for joining me today on the program.
1: You've just heard opinion, commentary, and dissertation involving publicly traded companies seeking your potential investment. they paid us for the privilege. Invest at your own risk and only after doing extensive research. Find our sponsors and listen to segments of this program again on our website, ellismartinreport.com.